Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. Welcome back to this month's episode of the Derek Izzy Show. We'll get things started without any delay. Moses, we've got a review of the month for you to read. Hand selected by Moses, the title of this review is Great. It comes from Alex out in Wyoming. Beautiful, wonderful state of Wyoming. If anyone's ever been there, some of the loyal listeners know that the Derek Izzy Show actually started broadcasting from Wyoming in a little town called Gillette, just like the Razors. Gillette, Wyoming, up in the northeastern corner. If you ever get a chance to visit Wyoming, most of the tourists like to check out the western side with Yellowstone Park and a lot of beautiful scenery. You can drive through Yellowstone and the wildlife will come right up to your car. They'll cross the road in front of you. You can see bears, buffalo, all kinds of different wild animals up close just by driving through the park. They give you a fair warning when you're going in. You're not supposed to stop and feed them or do anything, but people always do, and that's what makes for entertaining YouTube videos. So, Moses, what did Alex have to say about the Derek Izzy Show? Love Izzy's podcasts. Great info. Thank you very much, Alex, for that wonderful review. If you'd like to have your review read on the air by Moses Ronald, well, you have to be selected. And in order to be selected, what you have to do is submit your five-star review on iTunes. It's pretty easy to do when you look at the Derek Izzy Show. Just scroll down to the bottom where the reviews are and click on Submit a Review. And you can write a review right there through your iPhone, iPad, any Apple device. Give us five stars and... You will have a shot at getting your review read on the air by Moses Ronald. And now, the topic of today's podcast. Today's podcast is about an inventor. Most of you probably have no idea who this gentleman is, and he's not even from America. Now, generally, we stick to topics that are based on American history, and this is based on American history, even though this inventor was not from America. The thing that ties him to American history is that a lot of his inventions are used by Americans in everyday life, even still today. This inventor was born back in December of 1791. Born around Christmas time, he was one of four children, born in a fairly wealthy family. As a boy, he grew up with a very, very passionate interest in mathematics. 
a self-taught algebra student, he continued to advance himself in the subject of mathematics. When he entered Trinity College, he found that he was already ahead of most of the students and in line with a lot of the professors. This mathematical gift was something self-taught, and it was something that would be with him for the rest of his life and lead him to many interesting inventions. In Cambridge, England, he attended Trinity in 1810 to study math, graduated from Peterhouse in 1814, and got his master's degree in 1817. While still in college, he married a woman against his father's wishes. Back in the early 1800s, family played a big role in marriages, and it was typically very important to get the family's approval before you married someone. And the topic of our podcast was a rebel in that aspect, but his marriage was a very good one. He and his wife had eight children together, although not all their children survived to be very old. Now, it was fairly common back in the early 1800s that the lifespan of people in general wasn't nearly what it is today with the advancements in in healthcare and just general health. And families were generally a lot larger back then. But together, he and his wife had eight children. He was raised in a Protestant family, and that kind of helped form his views in life. He is quoted as saying, My excellent mother taught me the usual forms of my daily and nightly prayer, and neither in my father nor my mother was there any mixture of bigotry and intolerance on the one hand, nor on the other of that unbecoming and familiar mode of addressing the Almighty, which afterwards so much disgusted me in my youthful years. He was fascinated by religious scholars, and at a later stage in life, he concluded when it came to religion that the true value of the Christian religion rested not on speculative theology, but on those doctrines of kindness and benevolence which that religion claims and enforces, not merely in favor of man himself, but of every creature susceptible of pain or of happiness. As a fairly spiritual man, he also believed in miracles. He's quoted as saying that we must not measure the credibility or incredibility of an event by the narrow sphere of our own experience, nor forget that there is a divine energy. And he compares that to our laws of nature. And what we might see as a miracle, people tend to base on their own experiences. He says, all that we see in a miracle is an effect which is new to our observation and whose cause is concealed. The cause may be beyond the sphere of our observation, and would be thus beyond the familiar sphere of nature. But this does not make the event a violation of any law of nature. The limits of man's observation lie within very narrow boundaries, and it would be arrogance to suppose that the reach of man's power is to form the limits of the natural world. As he's achieving success, in life with his marriage and through college, 1827 rolls around, and it is one of the worst years in his life. In the time period of just one year, his father, who he already had a rocky relationship with because the father disapproved of the marriage, well, his father dies. 
his second son, Charles. Charles dies. He had a newborn son. Died. The topic of our podcast was very close to a mental breakdown. His daughter, Georgiana, while still a teenager, died. This overwhelming grief pushed the topic of our podcast further and further into work. What was his work? Well, he was basically a mathematician slash inventor, and he had several different jobs. Something that enabled him to further his career interests in mathematics was the death of his father. At the time of his father's death, the topic of our podcast inherited a decent amount of money, which at the time would be worth between 6 and $30 million today. As an independent wealthy person, and someone who was self-taught in the mathematical industry, he kind of developed an attitude of superiority and, and arrogance about his mathematical ability, and rightfully so. Back in those days, they didn't have calculators. In order to complete large calculations, they used mathematical tables. These tables were all calculated by humans. As a self-proclaimed mathematical genius, the topic of our podcast began analyzing these tables and finding mistakes in them. This is when the idea dawned on him. In order to eliminate the mistakes, these complex mathematical problems and algorithms should be computed by a machine. This idea spread forth. The French government produced several tables using this new machinery computing method. Several other mathematicians started getting into the computing industry. Now, when they did these mathematical operations, they were restricted to just addition and subtraction. So in order to do complex problems, they had to do many, many, many calculations. This required a lot of computing power. That's what drove the topic of our podcast, to try and create a machine that could handle the computing power to do these complex equations. Basically taking mass production and applying it to math. The topic of our podcast knew he had a brilliant idea. And he was not afraid to let people know. He had a reputation for being a sought-after person as a speaker and at dinner parties. But he was not a very sociable person. He was not afraid to speak his mind. And he definitely would not hold back. He was a very principled man. And he would tell you what his principles were. He was very savage in his attacks on other mathematicians and just the general scientific community, which he viewed as kind of a kind of an old boys club. You know, they had they had their friends, they had their group, their their clique of where everybody fit in, and they weren't willing to change. One of the difficult things that he came across in his career was how outspoken he was. Because the people who were in power in the scientific community, in order for him to get his ideas off the ground, he needed their support, and yet he was free to go off and insult them by correcting their flaws and bringing their mistakes to light for the rest of the world. This kind of put him in an awkward position, but being independently wealthy kind of gave him the ability to do that. Some of the 
kind of different things that he was involved in, not relating to math, but kind of relating to his thinking process. Well, here's one that relates to math. Something that he was also involved in, being this moral, very principled man, had to do with public nuisances. For example, in, in 1857, he published something called A Table of the Relative Frequency of the Causes of Breakage of Plate Glass Windows. He counted all the broken panes of glass at a factory and concluded that out of the 464 broken panes, 14 were caused by drunken men, women, or boys. He really had a disdain for common people and drunkards and people who just misbehaved in general. He's quoted as saying, It is difficult to estimate the misery inflicted upon thousands of persons and the absolute pecuniary penalty imposed upon multitudes of intellectual workers by the loss of their time destroyed by organ grinders and other similar nuisances. This would be the guy out there with road rage. No patience for people that don't conform or don't keep the flow of things going. In the 1860s, one of the things that children would do for fun is roll a hoop down the road. That was the that was this fun time activity. They didn't have gaming systems. So they had a hoop, just a round hoop, and they would roll it, and that was a form of entertainment. Just watching the hoop roll and chasing after it, trying to catch it, seeing where it would go. This was offensive to the topic of our podcast. He started an anti-hoop rolling campaign. He blamed the kids rolling hoops under horses' legs, which resulted in the rider being thrown or the horse breaking its leg. He actually was quite popular after writing this piece. He also entered politics for a short period of time. He ran for parliament as a candidate for the borough of Finsbury. In 1832, he came in third place out of the five candidates. While he didn't win, he did make some political friends that turned out to be useful colleagues in the future. He was a pioneer in the field of absolute measurement. His ideas were published in a paper that he wrote called On Tables of the Constants of Nature and Art. He also studied the requirements to establish a modern postal system. He and a colleague came up with a system of assigning a a uniform shipping rate and the ability to send letters with postal carriers and having a standard rate that each person would pay to get their letter to a destination. I spoke before about the errors that he found in the mathematical tables. Well, this was something that led to one of the largest mathematical theories and inventions that this gentleman came up with. The first prototype was called the difference engine. The idea for the difference engine was a very complicated one. Required machine tools that were very expensive to make. Back in these days, you couldn't just go to the hardware store and pick up tools to work on these machines. They had to be custom made. The topic of our podcast, holding his moral ground, felt that he was being overcharged by the toolmaker and ended the relationship, thus ending the construction of his first difference engine. While funding became an issue, the topic of our podcast was able to receive funding from the British government. 
1821, the difference engine to compile mathematical tables was on its way to being completed. In 1832, it was completed. But he also had an idea for a better machine that could perform not just one mathematical task, but any kind of calculation. This was to be called the analytical engine. While the difference engine was quite a project, it was not 100% completed. In 1832, the British government stopped funding for the difference engine before it was 100% completed. The topic of our podcast tried to get more funding. Ten years later, he finally gave up. The difference engine was finished, but was never 100% complete. The topic of our podcast devoted all his time to the analytical engine. The analytical engine suffered the same fate as the difference engine. In 1854, a Swedish printer built a machine using the schematics for the difference engine. The machine printed mathematical and actuarial tables with amazing accuracy. It was so accurate that the British and the American governments used it to do their calculations. The topic of our podcast had a son who followed in Daddy's footsteps. The son continued to work on the analytical engine after the topic of our podcast was unable to do so, but it was never successfully completed. So that was back in the 1870s when the topic of our podcast died. Whatever happened to his analytical engine and difference engine? Well, that information is what I bring to you today. The difference engine has been reconstructed. Now, some of the original parts still exist in the Museum of History and Science in Oxford. You can see the prototype that evolved into the first difference engine. A science museum constructed two difference engines according to the schematics that the topic of our podcast had. One is owned by the museum. The other is owned by a person who made his multi-million dollar fortune off of technology and thus had a passionate interest in the difference engine. Using the schematics for the first difference engine, picture this. This was basically the first calculator. It had 25,000 parts, weighed 15 tons, and stands at a height of 8 feet tall. In 2011, researchers in England decided to work on what they called Plan 28, and that was to construct the analytical engine. Now, they had a hard time doing this because the schematics for the analytical engine kept getting changed as the topic of our podcast came up with new ideas and ways to make it more efficient. But they went out and crowdsourced the funding. It is still under construction. Started in 2011, they plan, the plan was to have it completed by 2021 on the 150th anniversary of the death of the topic of our podcast. This analytical engine would have 675 bytes of memory and run at a speed of 7 hertz. So you're thinking, 7 hertz? Wait, that's, that is extremely slow. That doesn't make any sense. Well, back in the time this was designed, there were no computers. 
Despite all his hard work building the schematics and creating these engines, none of them were actually constructed to his specifications during his lifetime. The government, while giving him some grants and some funding, never supported him enough to complete one of his analytical engines or difference engines. He was disappointed and frustrated that he did not get to see his work completed. On October 18, 1871, he died at his home, a defeated man, spending his life devoted to mathematical calculations, coming up with ideas to make improvements that he never saw finished. In 2015, an image of the topic of our podcast appears on the British passport. In 1983, the autopsy that was completed on him at his death was discovered and published by his great-great-grandson. Half of the topic of our podcast's brain is preserved at the Hunterian Museum in the Royal College of Surgeons in London. The other half of his brain is on display at the Science Museum in London. While he never got to see his work completed, his work evolved and many other people took his work and expanded on it and created more. What those creations evolved into was the first computer. The topic of our podcast, known as the father of computers, because his schematics of the difference engine and the analytical engine led us to the eventual discovery and creation of the computer, was none other than Charles Babbage. After his death, his legend lives on in the following ways. There is a moon crater called Babbage. There's the Charles Babbage Institute. That's an informational technology archive and research center at the University of Minnesota. There's a locomotive named after him in the 1990s. The University of Plymouth has a building named after him. There's a programming language called Babbage named after him for GEC 4000 series mini-computers. And I'm sure you've heard of the retail game chain called GameStop. Well, before it was called GameStop, it used to be called Babbage's, named after the inventor of computers, Charles Babbage. As I close today's episode of the Derek Izzy Show, I'd like to give you a couple more of his interesting inventions that are seldom talked about. On the front of a train, locomotive engine, as it's barreling down the tracks, you will see what is called a cow catcher, also known as a pilot. These are widely used to protect the front of the train. In economy of machinery, what is known as the Babbage Principle is used to divide labor. What I spoke about before in Babbage's work with um, making labor more efficient, he talked about um, dividing dividing up labor so that people could work in a factory and mass produce items in a way where there would be little downtime and it would maximize the efficiency of the production. This was something that Charles Babbage 
found that skilled workers spend part of their time devoted to tasks that are below their skill level. So if you divide the labor up among several workers, you can keep the highly skilled workers doing nothing but tasks that are highly skilled. And then the lower cost workers can handle the lower cost tasks. Some of his other inventions include lighthouse signaling. He invented the, he came up with the idea for the black box recorders whenever there's a catastrophic railway accident. These are what we use in planes. Whenever there's an airline tragedy, there's a black box that records the events. Back at the time, coal was used as a big power source. He had an idea to use tidal power to harness the ocean to generate power. He invented fail-safe quick-release couplings for railway cars. He came up with multicolored theater lighting. He came up with an altimeter, a tugboat for winching vessels upstream, a seismic detector. He also came up with a what was referred to as an arcade game for members of the public to challenge each other in games of tic-tac-toe. Some of his interests that are a little bit less well-known were things like lockpicking. He was an avid chess player. He was really interested in submarine propulsion. While he was known as the father of computers, you can see that he had many, many other inventions that led to him leading a very interesting life. As a brilliant mathematician, he was also a very good code breaker. He had a reputation for being able to break codes that were used in the military. So the next time you pick up a computer or a computing device, because computers seem to be heading to where they may be obsolete, the next time you're using your phone, which is now a computer, think back and remember the father of today's computers, Charles Babbage, because now you know the rest of the story. This has been the Derek Izzy Show. Today's episode was brought to you by Izzy Racquetball. Just go to IzzyRacquetball.com. Use the promo code Izzy10, I-Z-Z-I-1-0, and you will get 10% off your order. Now, I realize that the majority of my audience are not made up of racquetball players, but if you go to izzyracquetball.com, there's a line of t-shirts and there's a line of athletic shoes that can be used across multi-sports. The court shoes are good for volleyball, basketball, basically any type of sport that you play on a gym floor or on a court. Tennis, squash, racquetball, of course, pickleball. All of these cross-training shoes can be used for any sport on a court surface. Using your discount 10% off your order, we have women's shoes, men's shoes. Check them all out, IzzyRacketball.com. Proud sponsor of this episode of the Derek Izzy Show. Good day. Thank you.